Lord over our dreams, and some of us have had to have some dreams to die, and uh, and I believe that's all in your economy, Lord. Even dreams that you give us, you you allow them to come to a place of death in us, in a sense. To, but there's a resurrection, and and even today, Lord, I believe there's people who you want to resurrect some dreams that they've had that they've given up on. And Father, I ask you to do that. Just as a resurrection, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, will quicken our mortal bodies, that you would kindle afresh dreams that people had in you, Jesus. That you would kindle afresh. And Lord, those of us who are going through death of dreams this morning, I really feel like there's people who are going through, you've had dreams and you feel like they're dying. And I believe if you'll just give them to the Lord... Let them, let them go to the cross with Jesus. Put them in the cross. Put them with Jesus on the cross. And, and they'll certainly be resurrected with Him. So, Lord, we want to, for any of us that are going through that now, that feel like some dreams we've had that You've given us, we just feel like they're dying now. God, I ask You, Lord, to let us have a, let them, let's have a funeral today and bury Him. Bury Him in Jesus. Let them go. Just give them to Jesus. And Jesus will resurrect them. Jesus will bring them to life at His time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Really felt that real strongly during worship. Well, I'm going to give you a nice message this morning, I believe. <laughs> nice Easter message. It's not your normal Easter message, but I want you to turn to Luke 9. Luke 9. Uh, ver- I'm going to read one verse, and I want to talk to you about that one verse just a little bit. And... This is a pretty famous verse in the Bible. Let me give you another test for those who weren't here earlier. But everybody can get in on this test. Remember, I'm going to say something. You had to respond to me, and that determines if you pass the test. The Lord is risen. Amen. You got an A-plus on that test. If you didn't know that, now you know that for the rest of your life. When somebody said that's how they did in the, in the New Testament church. Actually, they said that. And Luke, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. They were so excited. <laughs> Something to be excited about. Well, Luke 9:23. Uh, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, I remember one time, this is a few years ago, um, I had preached this message and after the church, a man who was in his late 60s came up to me, and this is what he said to me. He said, all my life I have heard these hellfire and brimstone messages. And I'm just looking for somebody to tell me, how do you live the Christian life? Uh, in other words, this man came to church that day uh, looking for a Sermon on the Mount kind of message, you know, where Jesus sat down and explained to them, this is how how it works, but it got more of a John the Baptist message that day, you know, John the Baptist, repent, or you're going to perish, that's, that's John, both of them are real biblical, biblical messages, um, but that man was crying out, um, how do you really live the Christian life, I mean, what, what, what does living a uh, uh, resurrection, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead to empower us to live a life separate and different from what we previously lived. And I think a lot of people are really crying out, what is a real Christian? What is a true Christian? What does it really mean 
to be a Christian? What does the Bible tell us? How do we do this thing called Christianity? And I'm not talking about in a church meeting at all. I mean, because leave that up to people who are leading church. Let them try to figure out how to do churches. Um, And that's an important thing. But I'm talking about when you walk out this door and you go home and you go to work and you go to the supermarket and you interact with people at school, how do you really live the Christian life? What would Jesus say? This, This person is a true Christian. This person is a true, true believer. Um, and that's what I want to talk to you about because I believe that's what resurrection is about. I believe that's what it's all about. It's, it's to empower us to live a Christian life. And we need to be told not only that there is that power available, we need to be told what it's about. How do you do it? And I'm going to tell you some things that I believe the Bible says what a true Christian is. And you can decide... Uh, if that fits you or not. Amen? Y'all with me? Don't be sad on me. <laughs> this is, I just, on this verse 923, first thing, this first thing Jesus said, it says, he said, he said to them all. He said to them all. So th- that's the first thing he said. I want to I say this to you. That means all. And then he goes and says, if anyone, anyone and all, okay, everybody, Everybody can live a Christian life. He wasn't talking just to a a few real special people, exclusive people, you know, people who are in the ministry full time, so-called, you know. He was saying this to every person. Every one of you sitting in this room, Jesus is saying that to you today. If any one of you, if any one of you... Now, I remember when I first got saved as a young Christian... I remember getting invited to my neighbor's house. He had a Bible study he did and on Friday nights, him and another guy. So they invited me to come to their Bible study. And I'd been a Christian two or three months. So I went to their Bible study. And they were just exuberant and so excited about the Bible. Okay? They were really... And these were just... These were not pastors. These were not even leaders in the church. They were just a couple construction workers. Just everyday guys, but they were so excited about the Bible, and they were reading, you know, they were jumping all over the Bible, you know, in Genesis, and this revelation, God spoke to one of them, then he related to something Jesus said in John, and then he related it back to something somebody said in Jeremiah, and and then over in what Paul said in Colossians, and I was just, I was dumbfounded. I was really dumbfounded about their exuberance and love for the Bible, and how God was talking to them. And he was here, and, and they were communicating with the Lord. And I guess probably for the first time as a Christian, I, I went away that night feeling bad about myself. I had not felt bad about myself up until that moment. And I felt bad about myself because I saw them doing something that I couldn't do. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't take the Bible and read something in Genesis and all of a sudden felt like God was talking to me and then I can relate to something Jesus said and then relate to something that Jeremiah said and relate to something Paul said. I just couldn't do it. And I remember going home and getting in in the bed and opening the Bible and sort of reading some of the things they were saying and just started crying. And, you know, Lord, you know, why can't I do that? You know, what, you know what's wrong with me? That's the way it made me feel. First thing I realized is I didn't read the Bible. 
Okay? That was my first problem. I just didn't read the Bible. Uh, and I feel like God said to me, you know, you've got to read the Bible if you're going to get stuff from the Bible. You know? The only Bible reading I did was on Sunday morning when the pastor read something, I read it along with them. You know, if he read three verses, that was pretty much my quote of the Bible for the, for the week. And I realized at that moment, I'm going to start reading the Bible every day. That's when I started, I started reading the Bible every day for the rest of my life. Since then, I've read it every day. You know, I'm, you know if, if I'm not anywhere, there's a Bible available, I can read it. There's certain verses I have memorized. I can quote them about it myself. So I, I'm just going to start reading the Bible because if God can talk to the two construction workers, He can talk to me. You know, I'm going to give God a chance to talk to me. I consider my, if they can do it, I can do it. Now, what I didn't realize then, and, I, and looking back on it, is that was God's first hint to me that one day I would be ministering His Word. In other words, if I'd have went there and they were all into music and playing music, and I would have enjoyed it and went home and wouldn't even face me. <laughs> There's something in me that tells me, you ain't never going to be able to do music. You know, it wasn't an issue with me. I mean, there's something that tells me you're not going to be able to play the guitar. I was telling my son yesterday, I was scolding him about not, you know, because he's got musical talents. And I said, everybody in this family can play. I wasn't counting myself. And he said, well, what about you? You ain't playing. <laughs> I don't count. I don't got it in me. Y'all got that from Mama. But you see what I'm saying? There was something in me. It was God in me giving me a hint way back then that, because they were doing something. He was really, and it was, I shouldn't have felt bad I sh- if I'd have realized it, that God was saying, Byron, you can do this. You can do this. And that's why I had the reaction. It was more of a fleshly reaction. So if anyone, um, later on I went to, uh, got married, and, you know, went through all that and sort of got settled down. <laughs> kind of got distracted there a little bit. <laughs> Becky distracted me from the Lord a little bit. <laughs> Anyways, I uh, we finally got settled down, found a church we started going to, and uh, this is about a year and a half later. I remember going into the church for the first time, and I had never experienced church like that before. These people were very passionate for the Lord. They were, I would consider them on fire Christians. They were just, everybody was just committed to Jesus, just committed to Him. And, and they seem like the most humble people on the face of the earth. That's what they said. They seem humble. They seem committed. They were on fire for Jesus. And you know what? I went away from there feeling bad about myself again. Okay? That's the way it made me feel. Because I looked at them people and thought, man, look at these people. Why, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be like that? And as I went on and attended that church for a while, I realized about those people, those people had issues. I realize those, those people are not perfect people. They are imperfect, immature, messed up people who are on fire for God. And you know what? I decided if God can use them, if they can get on fire for God, as me- you know, their fiery feet, you know, I saw their, you know, in the Bible it describes Jesus having these feet of burnished bronze and that's what I saw in these people. When I first got there, I realized that was just orange clay feet. <laughs> they had feet of clay. But it didn't make me rejoice that I saw that they, they were still working through issues in their life. What it did is made me realize I can be on fire for Jesus. I can be committed to Jesus. 
I can, I can live a life of humility. I can do it. Because if they can do it, I can do it. You hear what I'm saying to you? And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, if anybody will, you can do this thing. You can have this thing, whatever it is. See, I wanted, deep down in me, I wanted to be a committed Christian. That was what was going on me. I wanted to be on fire for God. I wasn't, but I really wanted to be. I wanted to be a humble fellow, because I realized I read somewhere in the Bible, because God knows the proud from afar, but He gives grace to the humble. I wanted that grace in my life, so I thought, I want to be humble. I wasn't. I was an arrogant son of a gun. You know, but I wanted to be humble. It attracted me what I saw in them, but at first it frustrated me. First it made me feel bad because I wasn't that, but they had something I wanted. And when I realized they're immature people, they're still working it out. They're still, they're dealing with issues in their life. It made me realize I can do this. I can be this. You don't have to be some super spiritual something that doesn't really even exist. Are you with me? Anybody can. Anybody can. Um, second, Jesus said this. He says, If anyone desires to come after, after me, let him deny himself. And, you know, denying yourself, you know, it's, it's a choice that we have to make. It's like when I decided I wanted God to talk to me, you know, I need to read the Bible. I need to, instead of lay, uh, laying around watching TV all the time or whatever I was doing back then, I used to be into guns. And I spent a lot of time rebuilding guns. I like to take guns and old broken guns and restore them. And it's sort of a hobby I had. I even had this vision. I'm, I'm going to go and get a gunsmith license and do that on the side. Uh, you know, when, I, when I, I was in school at the time, when I got out of school, I was going to do that. and open me a gun shop and restore antique guns. I spent a lot of time doing that. I loved to do it. It was just a passion I had. But I realized, you know... I'm going to have to not do some stuff because I was going to school and working and, you know, you only got so much time in your life. And I had to give up that hobby because if I'm going to really study the Bible, I don't, you know, I only had a little extra time every day of my life and I had to make a decision what's important. And I decided then reading the Bible was more important than messing with guns. And that's just an example of denying yourself. You take any good athlete that really is going to do something athletically, you, know, you hear all these stories about these uh, skaters and, and swimmers, how they got up for years at 5 o'clock in the morning and went and skated or, or swam while all their buddies were laid up sleeping. And then they'd go to school and then had to come home, do the homework, and get in bed early so they could get up the next day. You know, if you really want something, you're going to have to give up some, some other things to get it. It could be different things for different people. Um, you know, it could be... It could be sin for some of us, just sin. For some of us, it could be TV. I mean, I'm not trying to read into your life what you should you should do, but, you know, there's a denying of your carnal man, your outward man, and you have to decide what's, what's important. Is, is sleep more important than, than God? I mean, I'm not trying to be religious. Believe me, I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in, in all that stuff and, you know, making people do things. It has to be something that comes from your heart. But I knew there was something in me that was crying out that said, I want to know the Bible. I think God wants to talk to me through the Bible. And it was a hunger in my heart. So I knew I'm going to need to give up messing with these guns 
so I can spend that time reading the Bible because I was going to school, I was working, and I had to study my schoolwork to make sure I could graduate. Are you all with me? And we're not talking about religion. I just want to make that point. The third thing Jesus said, he said, Let's, uh, you have to take up the cross daily and follow me. Take up the cross daily and follow me. And that's what I really wanted to talk to you about was that, that thing called taking up the cross. Um, you know, a lot of people have got ideas about what taking up the cross is. In other words, um, Becky is not my cross. You know how some people say, well, that person just my cross to bear in life, or my job is, my marriage is, my friendships are, my church is a cross to me. That's really not what the Bible's talking about, what the cross is. I, you know what I think really what it really means? I think it really means this. Taking up the cross and following him, it's just, it's simply, that's, it's simply being a real Christian. That's what taking up the cross is. It's really just being real with God and being something real and not being some fake thing. You know what I'm saying? That's what taking up the cross is. I mean, we, we've got a lot of definitions. I've heard of some good definitions. But taking up the cross, being a real Christian, really is the pathway to following Jesus. That's the only way you, you can really follow Him, is to be a real, genuine Christian. To be something real. That's, that's it. I mean, to me, it just, it's clear that's what it is. But the Bible does give us some definitions on what taking up the cross is, I think. Are you with me? And here's, here's what the Bible tells us. When Jesus hung on the cross and died, Jesus said seven things. A lot of y'all know that, right? The, se- the seven sayings of the cross. Probably heard, you know, books. There's books written on the seven sayings of the cross. But Jesus did say seven things when he hung on that cross. And I believe what he said defines is a, a, a very accurate definition of what a true Christian really is. What he said when he, when he hung on the cross, when he was dying on the cross, he told us this is what a real Christian is. This is what it's really like to be a true Christian. And I'm not talking about somebody who acts like a Christian on Sunday and gets all excited on Sunday and goes, you know, goes somewhere else on Monday. Amen? And I think this is how we follow Jesus. That's what He said. When we look at what He said on the cross, this is how we really follow Him. This is the essence of following Christ. Because if we take what He said and apply those things to our life, that is following Jesus. That is taking up your cross. Okay? You with me? So there's seven things, but I'm going to only talk about one of them this morning. <laughs> because the, one, the first one, let's turn to Luke 23. The reason I wanted to do just one of them is because I wanted to do communion. And the first one's sort of the most difficult one, I think. It's Luke 23, verse 34. Now, the order that Jesus said these things was very important. Okay? He said, there was an order he said it. It's just like, uh, you know, here's a simple order. Hello, how are you doing? That's an order. You say hello first, introduce yourself to a person, then how are you doing? You, You see what I'm saying? There was something important about the order of what he said. This is what he said. The first thing Jesus said, while he was hung up there on that cross, dying for our sins, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So, what I want to just briefly talk to you about this morning, about taking up your cross, about being a true Christian, is forgiveness. 
That was the first thing that Jesus said when he hung on the cross. And I believe forgiveness is, is the most difficult thing because you can't escape forgiveness. Everywhere you go, there's going to be forgiveness. That's going to, you're going to have to deal with forgiveness in your life. Uh, it's, I think it's really the doorway of being a Christian, being a true Christian, is forgiveness. I think that's the door you step through. It's, it's, forgive, it's having to forgive. Not only Jesus forgives your sins, but you're going to have to forgive if you're going to really follow Jesus. You see what I'm saying? You're going to, if you're really going to follow Him, you're going to have to forgive. Now, it's hard because this is one of the reasons it's hard. He said, forgive them. Everybody say them. It's more than just forgive him or forgive her. It's meaning a lot of people you're going to have to forgive. There's a lot of people in your life you are going to have to forgive if you're going to be a Christian. I have found this. I've learned this. If I'm going to have a long-term marriage, and I've got near about 25 years, I'm not talking about just living with somebody for 25 years in the same house. I'm talking about having a good relationship with that person. I'm going to have to learn how to forgive my wife. I know that's hard to believe that you have to forgive Becky, that she does things that you need to forgive her for. But I've had to learn I've got to forgive that, that lady. Because there are things that she does which hurts me. There are things that she does that I feel like are wrong to me. And I've had to learn, if I'm going to have a relationship with her, a good relationship for, for a long time, I've got to forgive her. I've had to learn with my children. And if you've got little children, you can't understand that for nothing right now. But when they get 22 years old, you will find out that you're going to have to learn how to forgive them. In fact, wasn't that the prodigal son, son's biggest issue? Will daddy take me back messed up as I am? Wasn't that his real issue? Will my daddy take me back wrong? Every parent is going to have to face that on some level. Maybe not to that extreme, but all of us are going to have to face So your little babies that you love and so sweet now, and the only problem you got is getting them to bed and changing their diaper and, you know, tell them not to stick their finger in the light socket. Be, be blessed. You know, they're going to tear your house down one day. Somebody's saying, I, you know, I can't wait till my children get big so they won't tear my furniture up. And I'm thinking, I thought that. I couldn't wait till they got big where they wouldn't tear the furniture up. They will destroy your house. You get a 22-year-old kid thrown up all over you, bigger than you are, stronger than you are, wants to wrestle you, throw you around the house and tear, you know, knock the window, the blinds out of the window and all this stuff. But I've learned that I have to forgive my children if I'm going to have a relationship with them, even the ones that are following the Lord and doing good, I still have to forgive them. And you know what the other thing is? Young, especially young people, you're going to have to forgive your parents. And parents are going to be shocked at some of the stuff that their children are going to say to them one day about having to, you know, I didn't know I did that to you. And they're going to tell you things that have happened in life, in living life, where you hurt them, where you hurt them. And they didn't, you know, you may not even know it. I've had to forgive my parents. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure every person in this room, old enough, there's things your parents you've had to forgive. I had to learn. I've had to learn if I'm going to have long-term friendships, I'm going to have to forgive. Or I'm not going to have any friends very long. Because everybody who I've been a friend with, they've hurt my feelings at minimum. They've hurt my feelings. They've said things that offended me. And I've just had to decide, if I'm going to stay friends with this person, I've got to forgive them. I've got to forgive them or I won't be able to stay friends with them. 
I've learned in church relationships. Big time in church relationships. <laughs> You've got to forgive people. You have to forgive them. Or you will go from church to church to church looking for some special people who are not messed up, who don't have flaws, who are not going to stumble and bumble around and say stuff they shouldn't say. Not that they're big sinners. They're just human beings. and They're, they're, they're working through their salvation. You have to forgive. That's what makes salvation so hard. When I worked as an engineer, I learned I had to forgive my boss for things or I'd have left the company. I've had to forgive that company for things I felt like they were doing wrong, that really I felt like they did wrong me or I saw them wrong other people. So you see, if you're going to have anything long-term in this life, you have to forgive. That's what makes forgiveness so hard. You have to learn to love people who are messed up people, and you have to learn to love people when they're going through messed up phases of their life. You just have to. That's why forgiveness is hard. Now, turn over in your Bible to Colossians 1. Are y'all with me? <laughs> this is what being a real Christian is. I'm telling you, this is it. This is a secret right here. Are you a real Christian? Do you forgive? Do you struggle with forgiveness? Probably do. Colossians 1, verse 13 through 14. And I'm not going to be much longer here, I promise you. Father, forgive them. That's what Jesus said. Forgive them. Jesus, for, Jesus has forgiven you of the sins that you committed before you committed them. Jesus knew what kind of rotten rascal I was going to be for 21 years of my life. And He forgave me. Um, Colossians 1, verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting. The reason I want to read that, it talks about redemption. Redemption through His blood. In other words, we redeem, and everybody knows what redeem means. Um, the best example is you had a, your prized stereo and you didn't have enough money to pay your electric bill and they were going to cut your electricity off. So you took your prized stereo down to the pawn shop and pawned your stereo, okay, until you got paid. And then when you got paid, they gave you a little slip where you could go back and redeem that prize stereo and get it back. You had to go and pay some money, though, to get it back. Well, that's what Jesus did for all of us. That's what redemption means. But here's what's interesting. Paul made a point. He didn't assume that we knew. He wanted us to know that redemption, he said, redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He brought that point out, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, he didn't want us just to assume oh, we were redeemed, we were bought, but he wanted us to know that we were forgiven for our sins. And I think the King James says, even. It uses that word, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the point. Even though Jesus has forgiven us our sins, a lot of people, and this is really what I want to talk to you about. Everything else is just getting here, okay? I want to talk to you about not feeling forgiven. Just like when I, the, story, the two stories I told you about, when I went to the Bible study with the guys, how I, didn't, how I felt. A lot of people even though they are forgiven, do not feel forgiven. Are you with me? Anybody in this room ever had that experience? Well, you just don't feel... I guarantee you have. If you'll tell the truth, you don't feel forgiven. Many of us don't feel forgiven about things. Many people, you know, stay into sin and, you know, repent and get back in and, you know, do all this stuff and they can't 
ever, they never feel forgiven. Well, there's three reasons, I believe, that we don't feel forgiven. Okay, the first one is this, is you're surrounded by people who will not forgive you. That's the first reason a lot of people don't feel forgiven. They're surrounded by people who will not forgive. Okay? That's why they say people who, who go into prisons and get saved in prison, give their life to the Lord, struggle with not feeling forgiven. Because every day of their life, they wake up and they are reminded of their crimes. They wake up, they go to bed. When they go take a shower, they're reminded of their crimes. They have no time where they can ever be by themselves. In fact, in some prisons, they actually have cameras that watch you use the bathroom. Your whole life is exposed. You see, man will ne- man always reminds us. It always remind, will always remind us of our sins. And that's what prison does to a person who's in prison. They're reminded constantly that they are a sinner. They have committed crimes. Therefore, they have a hard time believing or feeling like they're forgiven. And sometimes there's people we, we, we wrong and we do stuff and we ask them to forgive us. And they'll say stuff like, well, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget it. You know, and they treat us like dirt because of what we did to them. Even though we've, we've sincerely asked them to forgive us, we made a mistake, we did something wrong, but they never really forgive us. And that will make you feel unforgiven. That will make you feel unforgiven. That's not the Lord. Are you all with me? The worst thing you could ever do to a person, I'm telling you, this is the worst thing, worst thing a parent could ever do to a child, worst thing you could ever do to your friend, worst thing you could ever do to anybody, is when they wrong you is to not forgive them. That's a terrible thing to withhold forgiveness from a person. Even when they really deserve, you know, what you're doing. Because man always makes you pay. Man always makes you pay. That's why people are in prison. They have to pay. That's man. But God does it. Because when we ask God to forgive us, the moment if we sincerely ask Him, Lord, forgive me for what I've done, He at that moment you're forgiven. But it may take you six months of penance with a person. It may take you ten years in prison to be released from your crimes, to pay for your crimes. But that's not the way God is. second reason people are feeling forgiveness is they refuse to forgive themselves. They refuse to forgive themselves. And see, you don't have to be a prisoner in a jailhouse to be imprisoned. You see, a lot of people are in prison. I believe a lot of people in this room are imprisoned by guilt. I believe a lot of people are imprisoned in this room by their past. You're imprisoned by it. You don't feel forgiven. I share with you recently how I had this experience with the Lord when I was down at the beach and the Lord spoke to me. I was out jogging. 